Once again, thank you for joining us for our online worship service. Uh, we are in part two of a three-part series that we are calling Change of Plans. And there is a question that we're attempting to answer in this series. The question is, what do we do when our plans change? What do we do when we're headed in one direction and we think we know how things are going to work out and something comes along and knocks us off that path and takes us in an entirely new direction? What do we do when we find ourselves in the middle of circumstances that are completely beyond our control? Do we collapse or do we adapt? Do we crumble or do we thrive? And so that is the question we are seeking to answer in this message series. Way back in 2014, I went on my first international mission trip, a trip to Kenya. And, uh, and just so you know up front, I am not a missionary. That's not who I am. That's not my skill set. That's not my gifting. Um, and in fact, to go on a trip like that is very much, very much out of my comfort zone. Um, but I, I believed in the work that that team was doing. We're going over to give the people of Kenya clean drinking water. And it was just, it's absurd to think that people are dying as a result of not having access to clean drinking water. And so I was passionate about this cause. And so I went on this trip. And, and a big part of why I went over, I was just attempting to be obedient to what I believe God was calling me to do. And so I went over there, did this thing. And, and uh, yeah, it was really difficult. It was wonderful. Uh, it was a uniquely satisfying ministry experience, if I could put it that way. Um, but, it, but it was challenging. It really was. Um, and so we get to week two of this trip, and it's a two-week trip. It was the Wednesday of the second week. And by that time, I was feeling very much, very much ready to get back home, okay? Again, wonderful experience, did some wonderful work, but I was starting to get antsy. I just wanted to get back home. I was homesick. Um, I missed my wife. I missed my family. I wanted to get back home. And also, as an introvert, I just needed some time to not be around other people, okay? <laughs> we were a team of, I think, 30 or 31 people. And so when you're on that mission trip and when you're a part of that experience, you just, you don't get any time by yourself. Um, and so it's not that, it's not that we introverts, it's not that we don't like people. Um, you know, I like people. I like you. You're great. Um, it's not that we don't like people. It's that being around people can can drain our battery. And so we need to get some solitude to recharge the battery. And so, um, so it's Wednesday of the second week. I'm feeling that need to get my battery recharged. I'm feeling homesick. And so it's Wednesday morning and we are sitting in the, uh, the dining hall having breakfast and there's a TV up in the corner and some news is, is on in the background. And I don't know if the news is being broadcast in, in English or Swahili. I'm not sure because there is so much noise in the room. Uh, but then I noticed this story comes on and there's an airport that had caught on fire. And I'm thinking, huh, an airport is on fire. And I start to wonder to myself, what's the name of the airport that we're flying out of? And so I'm looking in, I'm trying to figure out what's going on in this story. And then I notice our host missionary, he starts making his way to the TV. And then our team leader starts making his way to the TV. And wouldn't you know it, the very same airport that we were supposed to fly out of on Friday, just two days away, was on fire. <laughs> and so in that moment, uh, I panicked. I panicked. 
I just gave into that that feeling of, of fear, that feeling of worry, that feeling of frustration. I just indulged in that for for a little bit of time. Um, maybe you remember back in the day there was that show Lost. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but but Holly and I we liked that. We watched it. I mean, the ending was eh. But there was uh, the character Jack, one of the main characters, and he was a surgeon. I think it was a spinal surgeon. And he relayed this story about how, you know, when something would go wrong uh, in the middle of surgery, he would give himself 10 seconds to just feel that panic, indulge in that panic. And he'd count to 10, and then that panic would be over. Put that aside, time to get back to work. And so, um, you know, that's not from the Bible. That's not scripture. That's just a TV show. But, uh, but in that moment, when I was in Kenya, seeing that our airport was on fire, I gave myself some time to be worried, to be anxious, to be afraid, to be angry over the circumstances. A little bit more than 10 seconds, um, maybe even more than 10 minutes, but just a little bit of time to feel those feelings that came natural. And then I stopped and I gave myself a little pep talk. Did you ever give yourself a pep talk? I do it all the time, okay? I'd give myself a little pep talk. And I started to remind myself of the things that I knew in that moment were true. Just reminding myself of the things that I know to be true, okay? And one of the things that I knew in that moment is that I could do nothing to undo this fire, right? There was no way I could undo what has already happened. I can't turn back time, right? I can't do it. It's one of the many things I have in common with Cher, we cannot turn back time. We try to find a way. It doesn't exist. We don't have the technology yet. And so knowing that I could not turn back time, knowing that I could not undo these circumstances, that's one of the truths that I could hold on to in that moment. There's nothing I can do to undo this. Here's another truth that I knew in that moment. I can't do anything to expedite the repairs that are necessary to fix this airport and make it operational again. I can't do that. It is completely beyond my ability, beyond my control. I don't have the power. I don't have the authority. I don't have the leverage. I can't lean on the Kenyan government and say, hey, we got to get Josh Schaefer out of here on Friday. I can't, I can't do any of that. It was completely beyond my control to solve that problem. And so that might not sound like much of a pep talk to you, but it worked for me. I just told myself the things that I know to be true. I can't undo this and I can't solve this problem. And I tell you what, that gave me, and this might sound odd, but it gave me a sense of peace. Peace in knowing that this is, this is not my problem to solve. Peace in knowing that this whole situation was beyond my control because all I could really do in that moment is just sit back and go along for the ride and just see what's going to happen next <laughs> because the circumstances were completely beyond my control. Now, for all of you Christians out there watching, you're waiting for me to bring in the faith element. And I will. Just hang on to that, okay? Um, I will bring in the faith element. But in that moment, it just gave me comfort to know that this was not my problem to solve. Right? There's nothing I can do to solve this problem. And I understood in that moment that worrying about my circumstances, that wasn't going to change anything. You know, me being worried about these circumstances, me being angry, me being frustrated... Those feelings, those experiences, um, they're not going to change my circumstances. And you know the same thing to be true, that worry accomplishes nothing. Worry 
does not change your circumstances. You know this. We know this. In fact, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 6. He told the people, don't worry. <laughs> you know, easier said than done, Jesus, right? <laughs> don't worry. But he explained, and this is, this is just logic you can't argue with, whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't argue with this logic. Jesus said, worrying doesn't add anything to your life. You can't add an hour to your life by worrying. Your worry accomplishes nothing. And so again, they're in Kenya, airport on fire, nothing I can do about it. And knowing that me being worried about it is not going to change my circumstances, okay? And so there is this thing of just, okay, I got to sit back and just go along for the ride because there's nothing I can do to solve this problem. This is not my problem to solve. And there was a peace just in being able to acknowledge that much. Now, let's bring in the faith element, okay? As you may have gathered, by this point in time, I am a Christian, okay? <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a believer. And as a Christian, I believe that God is in control, okay? Now, I want you to hang on to that statement, God is in control, because we're going to come back to that, all right? But for right now, just let me say this, that as a believer, as a Christian, I believe that God is in control. And so another way to put that is to say that what, what I can't control, I know that God can. I can't control my circumstances, God can. I believe that God is in control. Furthermore, I trust God, okay? I believe that God is in control, and I believe that he's trustworthy. And see, those two things are important. If I just believe that God was in control, but I was, well, I don't know if I could trust God. I'm not sure that he knows what he's doing. No, no, no. I believe that God is trustworthy. So I believe that God is in control, and I trust him, okay? Let me tell you what that's like, okay? <laughs> um, as a kid, did you ever go on a, a family road trip, okay? Uh, so mom and dad or whoever, or parent, grandparent, somebody's in the car, and you're going on a road trip, and they're taking you somewhere, and you're just a kid, you don't know how to drive, so you're just in the backseat letting it happen, right? Every year, we did this as a family. Every year, my dad would drive us down to, to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and he would make that drive overnight because there was less traffic and all that. So he'd be driving all night long. And you know what I did in the back seat? I slept. <laughs> I was just along for the ride. I was just there sleeping because somebody else was in control. My dad was in control, and I trusted him. I didn't stay up worrying, oh no, does he know where he's going? Is he going to keep alert? Is he going to keep his you know, hands on the wheel and all that? No, I didn't worry about that because I knew that he was in control. I'm not. I can't get us there. I, have no, I, have, I don't know how to drive. I don't know the way there. I have no control of the situation, but dad has it. Dad has it. He is in control and I trust him. Do you know what that's like? To sit in the back seat and just let somebody else drive? And so that's what it looks like to, to say, to believe that God is in control and to trust him. There is a real peace that comes from that. I can't solve this problem. I can't control things, but God can. And I trust that he knows what he's doing. Now let's come back to that statement, God is in control. Because I feel like sometimes we Christians can throw that statement out there and it can come across as kind of glib or it can come across as one of these answers that's not really an answer. Hey, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't know. God is in control. Mm. Let me explain what that statement really means, okay? And so for those of you who are note takers, if you've been waiting for something to write down, here you go. Here it is. Ready? To say that God is in control does not mean that things will work out the way that we want them to. All right? 
To say that God is in, in control does not mean that things will work out the way that we want them to. To say that God is in control means that things will work out with the way that they need to. Okay, so this is kind of a weird, weird kind of concept to, to wrap our heads around, but let me say this again, okay? To say that God is in control does not mean that things will work out the way that we want them to. To say that God is in control means that things will work out the way that they need to, all right? And so this is what we mean when we talk about God being sovereign or God's sovereignty, that God knows what he's doing, he's in control, and he will work all things out exactly the way that they need to be worked out. Now, sometimes the way that we want to see things worked out and the way that God needs to work things out, sometimes they're the same, but not always. Sometimes, sometimes they're different. Okay, so let me try. I'm going to attempt to give you an example of what God being in control looks like. And we're going to take a look at um, the story that Pastor Sean read for us from Genesis chapter 50. I want to give you some context um, concerning that scripture passage that Sean read for us. And so in that passage, um, and again, this is an example of what it looks like to see God in control over circumstances, to see God working things out exactly the way they need to be worked out. And so in Genesis, uh, toward the end of the book, we meet a man named Joseph. And, and so this is not the Joseph that we meet in the New Testament. This is not the, um, you know, the husband of Mary and the adopted father of Jesus. This is a different Joseph. And so we meet Joseph uh, toward the end of the book of Genesis. And Joseph is one of 12 brothers. And he is the favorite son of his father. Parents, this is a bad idea to have a favorite. Okay, you don't need me to tell you that, but, but this is a bad idea. And so uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, um, you know, Joseph was the favorite and, and Jacob was not subtle about that. And so all the other brothers knew that Joseph was the favorite brother. In fact, uh, dad even gave him a beautiful Technicolor dream coat. Um, and so it was well known that Joseph was the favorite. And so the brothers get together and they decide they are going to kill Joseph. That's what they decide. That's, that's what jealousy does to a person, okay? And so... They're jealous of their brother. They decide they're going to kill him. Fortunately, Reuben, one of the brothers, steps up and says, let's not, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a well. Like, oh, okay, sounds good. And so Reuben suggested that because he was hoping that he could go back later on and pull Joseph out of the well and save his life, okay? So that was Reuben's plan all along. And so the brothers, they initially, they throw Joseph into a well. Reuben leaves. And then they see some men come along, some traders come along. And long story short, they decide, well, let's sell Joseph, <laughs> Let's sell him as a slave, right? You know, he is our brother after all, so let's not kill him. Instead, let's sell him as a slave. And so they sell him as a slave. Um, he's taken to Egypt. He's sold as a slave to one of Pharaoh's officials, a man named Potiphar. And so he works as a slave in Potiphar's house. Again, it's a very long story. I believe it picks up around Genesis 37. So if you've got some time on your hands, you can read the whole story of how this all unfolds. Uh, but Joseph is falsely accused of assaulting um, Potiphar's wife, and he is sent to jail, and he just sits there for years. Uh, depending on how you do the math and how you reconcile the numbers in Genesis, he could have been in there for maybe, maybe a decade. I hope not for his sake, but he was in there for a while. And so there he is in jail, and all throughout this whole experience, all throughout Joseph's life, God has been in control. All right, as messy as all these circumstances are, this is what it looks like to see God in control. Now, Joseph, he has this special gift from God. 
he is able to receive from God uh, visions and dreams that communicates uh, future realities. He's able to see things from God in his own dreams. Joseph is also able to interpret other people's dreams. If they have a dream that is something from God and they're not sure what it means, Joseph can give the person the interpretation of that dream. So that's his gift. And so he's sitting there in prison with this gift. And uh, again, long story, somewhat shorter. Um, it just so happens that Pharaoh has a couple of dreams one night that, that really have him rattled, and he can't find anybody to interpret the dreams for him. Finally, word makes it back to Pharaoh that there's this guy in a dungeon, this guy in prison named Joseph who can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says, well, let's give this guy a chance. And so uh, Joseph comes along, and he is able to interpret uh, the dreams, and he's very clear when he speaks to Pharaoh that it's that God is the one who's given him this ability to see and to understand what these dreams mean. And so Joseph interprets these dreams, and um, what the dreams were about is God was warning Pharaoh that they were going to, in the future, they were going to enter into a time of famine. And so there was going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph gives the explanation of the dream to Pharaoh, and uh, while he has Pharaoh's attention, he decides he's going to go for it. And he's just going to give Pharaoh some advice um, because Joseph was bold like that. And so he says, you know what you should do, Pharaoh, is you should save up during these seven years of abundance so that you have plenty stored up for those years where there's going to be a famine. And so you need to appoint somebody over all the land to start collecting extra so we have it for those lean years. And Pharaoh says... That's a good idea, Joseph. In fact, I'm going to make you that guy. You're going to be the man who's in charge of all this. And so Pharaoh recognizes something in Joseph, that he has this gift from God, that he has this wisdom, that he has this insight. And so Joseph is appointed as the most powerful man in Egypt, just under Pharaoh, okay? Just under Pharaoh. And to give you some context here, at this point in history, Egypt is the superpower of the world. Here is Joseph now, second in command of all of Egypt. And guess what? Seven years of plenty, they happened. Grain was saved up and stored. And seven years of famine came. And when that famine came, they had grain there. And so by God's provision, by God setting all these things in motion, and by God working all these things out just the way they needed to be worked out, Joseph was there did what he did, and the people of Egypt survived for those seven years. They did not starve. Egypt wasn't wiped off the face of the planet because of a famine. Instead, they all survived because of Joseph. He had the food saved up. And it wasn't just Egypt. The surrounding nations traveled to Egypt so that they could buy grain and so that they could survive. So you can see how all this worked out. In fact, Jacob's other sons... They also came to Joseph, came to Egypt looking for grain. They presented themselves to Joseph. They didn't recognize him. They just knew that this was an important man, this, this guy who was almost equal to Pharaoh. So they go to Joseph and they ask for grain and they're seeking to buy some grain. And, and they don't recognize Joseph because he talks like an Egyptian and he's dressed like an Egyptian and he's walking like an Egyptian. And he's doing whatever that, that's, that's probably culturally insensitive. Let's cut that part out, right? Now, it was a song back in the day, Walk Like an Egyptian. Anyway, they don't recognize their own brother. 
And, um, and again, to, to cut to the chase of things, eventually, I mean, Joseph does have a little bit of fun with him. Eventually, Joseph does reveal himself to his brothers, and they can't make sense out of the situation. They're thinking, we put you in a well, and then we sold you as a slave. How did this happen? And so Joseph, he does not hold a grudge. Joseph, he does forgive. Joseph, he does provide for his father uh, and for his brothers. And in fact, the whole family travels to Egypt to, to have security and safety there. And that's how the story resolves, and that's how it ends. And so eventually, Jacob, Joseph's father, he dies. And after the death of Jacob, the, the brothers are afraid. They think, oh no, what if Joseph was only being kind to us uh, for the sake of our father? And so they come up with this plan, and this is what Pastor Sean read for us. They come up with this plan. And they're going to go to Joseph and they're going to say, listen, you know, I don't know if, if we're made it to you yet, but dad, you know, he didn't want you to, to, to punish us or anything. You know, he wanted you to forgive us. And when Joseph sees his brothers in this, in this fearful state, we're told that, that he weeps over this. He cries. In fact, he says to them, he says in verse, um, I'm in chapter 50, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And that's, that's a great question. And we need to talk about this uh, in a future message, this idea of this is God's place. If there's going to be any kind of retribution or retaliation, that's God's business. It's not for us. So Joseph says, that's not for me. I'm not, I'm, I don't stand in God's place. I don't. And here's what Joseph says. All right, verse 20. And he's saying this to his brothers. It says, you intended to harm me, which was true. All right, make, make no mistake about it. They intended to harm him. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. At that point in his life, Joseph could look back and he could see how all this mess and all these just horrible circumstances that he had lived through how everything just worked out exactly the way that it needed to work out in the end. And the result was the saving of countless lives. God is in control and he knows exactly what he's doing. God is in control and he's trustworthy. Now, if you had gone back to Joseph in that well and you've said to him, hey, hey Joseph, what would you like to see happen right now? I don't think he would have said, well, I hope I'm sold as a slave and then I hope I get thrown into a prison. I hope that's what happens. I don't think so. <laughs> I think while Joseph was in the well, he was hoping for a certain change in his circumstances. Hopefully someone will come along and get me out of this thing, right? And then I can go back to my dad and I get loved on by my dad because I'm the favorite. I hope that's what happens. I mean, that's probably how he wanted to see those circumstances resolved. But that's not the way they needed to be resolved. This is what it looks like to see God in control. And when Joseph was in prison, what did he want to see happen there? I, you know, oh, gee, God, thank you so much. I'm so glad that I'm in prison. I don't think so. I think he wanted to get out of prison. I don't think he had in mind. I don't think he knew what God was up to. And so, so often that's the case for us. We don't know exactly what God is up to. I might, we, we might suspect some things, but so often we don't know what God is up to. But when we don't know, we can go back to what we do know. What we do know is this, is that God is in control. And he knows exactly what he's doing. God is in control. And we can trust him that God will work things out exactly the way that they need to be worked out. And so, 
What do we do? All right? Let's bring it back to us. Let's make this about us now, okay? What do we do when we find ourselves in situations like this? All right, here we are. We are in a pandemic, okay? And I don't like to use that word because it sounds scary, but I believe that's the technically correct term. We are in a pandemic right now. Our lives have been turned upside down. People are out of work. People are losing out on income. Many of us are wondering, is there going to be a paycheck next week or next month or the month after that? Okay, A whole lot of uncertainty. A whole lot of circumstances that we can't control and we can't change. We just can't. What do we do? What do we do? Do we panic? All right, maybe, maybe initially that's our human response. We get worried or we get anxious, maybe initially, but, but we know. We know that our worry accomplishes nothing. We know that. We know that our worry accomplishes nothing. And so let's all remind ourselves of what is true. We can't change our circumstances through our worry. Worry accomplishes nothing. Worry, it changes nothing. Right? This, this is beyond our control and our worry does not contribute to a solution. It just doesn't. So let's remind ourselves of who is in control. What we can't control, God can control. Let's remind ourselves that God is in control. Not saying that this isn't messy. This is messy, what we're in right now, right? And I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how you want to see this situation resolved, but I know that God is going to resolve it exactly the way that it needs to be resolved. We know that much. We can trust that much. And so what we can't control, God can. We can't cure this disease unless, unless you can. And if you can, please do, right? But for the most part, most of us, we don't have the scientific background. We don't, we don't have the, the laboratory. We're not coming up with a cure. We can't do that, right? So many of us, most of us, we can't do that, right? We can't change these circumstances. We can't lift these bands. We can't lift the, the stay-at-home order. We can't do that. This isn't, let me put it another way. This isn't our problem to solve. And that's kind of (laughs) great. We can find a sense of peace and rest in that, knowing that God is in control of these circumstances and that God will work this out exactly the way that it needs to be worked out. God knows what he's doing. So what are we left with now? What can we do? Well, I'm going to focus on one thing, okay? One thing that we can do in these circumstances. And it's the same thing that I could do back when I was in Kenya and the airport was on fire, okay? It's this. We can pray. And back in Kenya, on that Wednesday morning, when the airport was on fire, you know, and after I got over my little panic session there, we start praying. Praying God. I don't know what's going on. God, I can't solve this problem, but you can. God, I want to get back home. I don't know what your will is, God. I don't know if we're stranded here. I don't know if we're supposed to do more work here. I don't know, but I know what I want. God, I I want to see this resolved in a certain way. I want to get back home to my family. So God, you know, you've given us permission to pray before you. So God, I'm asking you to resolve the circumstances in this way. And it just so happened, okay, in that case, that's how God resolved the circumstances. We left Kenya. I believe our flight was delayed by an hour, maybe two hours, which, I mean, that can happen anyway, right? Turns out the whole airport didn't burn down, just a section of it caught on fire, and so they redirected some things, and we made it out. God resolved those circumstances exactly the way they needed to be resolved. And he's going to do the same thing in this social distancing pandemic thing we're going through right now. 
He will resolve the situation exactly the way that it needs to be resolved. And so we go to him and we pray, God, let your will be done. Be done. God, we know that, that you know what you're doing. God, we believe that you are in control. God, we trust you. We trust you, right? And so that's what we pray. God, please, throughout this season, just take this worry off of us because we know, God, we know that we can't change things through our worry. So take that from us and just let us trust in you. Let's do that, right? Instead of getting all worried, let's just trust in God. Let's lean on what we know, that God is in control, that God is trustworthy. Let's let God take the wheel and we're just gonna rest in the back seat, right? We're just gonna let God do the driving. That's what we're gonna do. In fact, let's spend some time right now praying together. Father God, we believe it. We believe that you are in control and we trust that you know what you're doing. And Father God, I would ask that you would would give us a glimpse into what you're up to here. We believe that you will resolve this situation the exact way that it needs to be resolved. We believe that you are sovereign and that you know exactly what you're doing. You're gonna take us where we all need to get to. We believe in that, God. And so, Father God, free us. Free us from worry. Remind us of the truth that our worry accomplishes nothing. Remind us of that. And Lord Jesus Christ, I have been asking the same thing of you for weeks now. And I'm gonna pray this once again, God. I'm going to pray this once again, Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, give us your peace. You promised your peace to us. A peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that that exists in the midst of uncertainty. We just ask that you would bless us with your peace to the point of overflowing and allow that peace to be contagious throughout this entire world. Let your peace prevail. And in the meantime, Lord, continue to show us how we can love one another during this time, how we can be your church during this time, how we can serve each other and our community community during this time. Show us how you would have us do those things in the midst of this time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.